in the series called Why Church. My name is Fred Baker. I'm one of the lead pastors here. Um, I asked this question uh, to some folks on Facebook that are that I'm you know friends with acquaintances, and I don't know about you, but like it's interesting with my Facebook friends. Like it's these different chunks of my life, right? Like it's the I've got friends uh, from before I knew Christ, and in college I've got friends from 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 college and in high school, and even some teachers I'm friends with. Like one of my high school teachers I'm friends with on Facebook. That's fun, um, odd but fun. Um, and then, and then church people, it's great. So I put this question out there to everyone. And I said, if someone were to ask you, why do you go to church? And I prefaced it with, to all my church-going friends, if someone were to ask you, why do you go to church, what would you say? And I was so intrigued by the responses people gave me from all those different sections of life. Like a couple of them, I was like, oh, I didn't know you were a church-going person. That's good to know. We, Good to know. Good to know. Um, uh, but here's some of the stuff that they said, like to, to sum it up. They said to learn. They, they come to church to learn. They come to church to be around other believers. They, they come to church to be in a place without judgment. I love I loved that one. Uh, they come to church to reset my priorities, to grow in my faith, to worship, to serve others, to obey. Now, here's, here's what I know. All of you are here today for some reason, right? And so I ask you this question to consider. Why do you go to church? Why do you do what you do here today? This is what we're going to talk about today. See, all of these reasons that I just went over, they're good and they're solid reasons. And I know that all of us come here for, for whatever reason brought you here. And this question... Why do I go to church is a question that I was considering about 15 years ago when God started laying this idea, this vision, this dream of, of Fellowship Asheville on my heart. You see, it's about 15 years ago. My family and I were here on vacation in Asheville, uh, like many people do. Uh, now we have a friend who has a house in Brevard, and we were staying there, and, and we had come here to Asheville just to see the city. It, was, it, was, it wasn't our first time here, I don't think. It was, it was, it was, it was uh, like the second, maybe third time here. But something was very different this time. When we were walking downtown, uh, we were over by Pritchard Park. Um, I didn't know what it was then. It was just this park downtown, and now I know it's Pritchard Park. But we were walking down by Pritchard Park, and, and I felt the voice of God speak to me. Now, I use those two words intentionally. When I say I felt the voice of God, that's two words that don't normally go together. But for me, that, that described what happened. I heard the Spirit of God say something, but it wasn't an audible voice. Right? It was the, the voice of God, it was the Holy Spirit speaking to my spirit. And so I felt the voice of God tell me that me and two other guys need to plant a church here. And one of the guys, they were both on staff, the same staff I was on at the church in Jackson, Tennessee. But he said, y'all need to, he didn't say y'all, he's not Texan, but... You know, we all have our own translations, right? Right. He said, y'all need to plant a church here. Now, here's what's funny about that thing that God said, that, the command that God said. Because five years prior to that little conversation, God and I had what I thought was a very clear conversation as well, where I told him I didn't want to be a church planter or a preacher. 
I thought I was very clear on that five years before he told me to plant a church here. So once I addressed those questions with God, the question that I was left with in pondering God, number one, did I really hear God correctly or was I walking in this cool mountain town and just thought, boy, this would be a great place to, 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 to start a church. But as I was pondering all that, the question that I had is this, why one more church here? In Asheville. Because here's what I saw in that trip and in subsequent trips when my family would come here. I saw lots of churches here in Asheville. Some of them seemed vibrant and growing, some of them not so much. But the question remained why one more church? Well, this is the question we're going to address today is why I believe God said this church needs to be here? Why does this church need to exist? Last week, if you were here in our church series, uh, last week we talked about why does the church exist? So when you look at, at all the churches around the globe of people gathering together to worship and pray and study God's word together and care for one another and teach one another and serve one another, while that's going on all over the world, why is that? And what we talked about is, is this, that the people of God being the place of God, has always been the plan of God. Like from Abraham, Abraham, he told Abraham that I will bless you so that you can bless those around you. That that is why, this, that is why the church exists. It's the people of God who experience this personal relationship with God, drawing others into a deeper personal relationship or into that relationship for the first time. They, they, they lead others to experience that relationship with him. And we use the phrase, let's see if you remember, we use the phrase that we are blessed to be a blessing. Right, y'all, yay, y'all were listening. Yay, that makes the teacher's heart feel good, right? You are, blessed, you are blessed to be a blessing. And that was God's plan for Abraham. It was God's plan for the entire nation of Israel. It was God's plan for the disciples. And it's God's plan for you, the church. That's why the church exists. But today, we're going to talk about why does Fellowship Asheville exist? Why do... Me and the elders believe that God has asked us to do this. Our passage today will be Ephesians 4, uh, verses 11 through 13. Um, and as we talk about why this church exists, Ephesians is a perfect place to, to dive into. And I'll get to that in a minute. But, but if you're new today, let me just kind of tell you typically how we do church. This is a little bit different. Typically, we go through an entire book of the Bible uh, verse by verse, and it takes us Weeks and weeks and weeks to do that. Uh, since it's the new year, we're taking three weeks and we're just kind of getting on the same page about church. Like I said, last week we talked about why the church exists. This week is why this church exists. And then next week is going to be why in the world would you want to invest your, your money and time into church. And so we'll talk about that next week. But this week... We're going to dive into this topic. Why does this church exist? And in two weeks, we'll start Revelation, and so we'll, we'll work our way through that. But we want to be on the same page. Now, back to this, back to this, this book, Ephesians, this letter, Ephesians. Uh, just to give you a context for it, Ephesians is a letter that was written by a guy named Paul. 
right? And what Paul would do is, is uh, he had this conversion experience with Jesus where, where Jesus showed himself as the Messiah that he had been waiting for. And Paul said yes to that and yes to Jesus. And then he became like this really influential church leader at the time. And he would go from city to city and he would tell people that same gospel, that same good news, the, the same good news that we say here that, that because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, you can have this good and personal and right relationship with the God who loves you and who, creates, who created you. And when people would say yes to that gospel, he would, he would gather them together in groups, much like what we do here. He would, he would train up leaders, much like what we do here, and then he would release them to be a church. He would raise up elders, and those elders would lead the church, and then he would go on to the next city and do it all over again. And then there would be these letters that would go back and forth from wherever he was to wherever the churches are that he planted. Sometimes there'd be questions. Sometimes there'd be letters where he would write them saying, y'all need to get right, like 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. There's a lot going on there that Paul needed to adjust. This letter is to the church in Ephesus. And what Paul's doing in this letter is he's telling them, guys, this is what it means to be the church in Ephesus. Like, this is how you are to do all the stuff that I trained you up to do, all the stuff that I, that, that, that I taught you to do. This is what it looks like to be the church in Ephesus. And it'll look very different than the church in Corinth and the church in Thessalonica and all these other places where he planted churches. This is what it looks like to be the church in Ephesus. And I think from his words to them about how to be the church where they are, we can see what it means to be the church where we are. We can see what it means uh, to, 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 to answer the question why this church exists. Well, let's look at verse 11. Chapter 4, verse 11 says this, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. And we're going to stop right there. This is part of the reason I don't like just doing um, uh, series is because we're jumping in the middle of the book, in the middle of a chapter, in the middle of a sentence. And so it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, right? But what Paul is doing is he's setting this framework for the body of people that are at the church that have said yes to Jesus. And he's saying, listen, among you in this crowd Everybody fits under these categories. Either you're an apostle, right? Which means you like to ask the question, okay, here in Ephesus, we're not doing this. And there's a need here in Ephesus for this. How can we in, at this church answer that need? Where can we go where the church isn't? That's what an apostle does. They're always looking to the horizon going, where do we need to go next? Right? Or maybe you're a prophet, he's telling them. And, and prophets are people that can declare God's will, and, and they use God's word to do that. But here's the deal about prophets. Prophets look at you, and they see your soul. Right? They are the scariest people to be around. Because what they do is they say, hey, how you doing? And you go, oh, good, good, good. Got this going on, got this going on. Good, good. So how are you really doing? I said I'm doing good. I got this and this and this. And uh -huh. mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm not buying that. I think you're stressed. Are you stressed? Like, tell me what's really going on. And all of a sudden, you just open up. That's what a prophet does. They, they see what God's up to, and they see what he's doing, and they draw you into that. Evangelist. He's telling the, 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 uh, the church in Ephesians, maybe you're an evangelist. In other, words, in other words, with your kids and with your coworkers and with those people around you, you just kind of naturally talk about Jesus in a way that wants people to, to, to want him more, 
right? Like, like you just represent him in a way that people go, man, tell me about this Jesus guy. And when you do, there's this uncanny ability that you have where people respond positively to the gospel. That's what an evangelist is. And then he does this last one of pastors and teachers. And what's interesting is he uses a, a different word that's typically used for and. He uses a different word so that those two are linked. That if you're a pastor, you're a teacher. If you're a teacher, you're a pastor. Those two are together. I fit under that category. And so he's saying to them in the, in the Ephesus church, what you do is, is, is there's some people in the Ephesus church that, man, they strive to care and lead people like a shepherd leads sheep. And not only do they do that, they strive to do that from God's word. And they strive to make God's word clear and understandable so that people can apply it to their lives. Now what's interesting is this is Paul talking to them, but I think he's also talking to us and to every church that's gathered together in the city that they're in. That, that, that you fit under one of those categories. This list of spiritual gifts is actually one of the simplest lists in all of Scripture. Usually there's a whole lot more categories, but I think every way that God has gifted you, and we'll talk about that in just a minute, what I mean by that, but every way that God has gifted you fits under one of these categories. Either you're striving to, for the church to do new stuff, or, or, or you're able to care for people in deep, kind of spirit-led, uh, discerning ways, or you're able to share the good news of Jesus in ways that people respond positively. Or you're a pastor and a teacher and you kind of care and, and exposit God's word that way. See, I think every gift mentioned kind of falls under this list, but, 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 but he doesn't stop there. He doesn't just say, hey, uh, this is who you are. He wants you to know why you're that way. Like, what's the point of the way God has gifted you? Look at verse 12. Well, actually, back up to 11 because it kind of makes sense. He says, He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And so this word equip means to, to, to teach and train and to do what Paul did, that he would go in and raise up leaders. And, and that's that word equip. And so what Paul is saying is like he's saying, listen, your spiritual gift, no matter what category you fall under, the way God have, has gifted you is for the church. It's for us. That your gift is designed by God to help us serve each other so that we can serve those around us and serve those who we don't even know yet. Now, I'm going to use my gifting as an example of this because it's the one that I know best, right? I, I kind of fall under that pastor-teacher umbrella. I also have the spiritual gift of encouragement. I, I love to encourage people. I love to, and it's more than just optimism. It really is seeing God's best in people and drawing that out. Like, that's what I love to do. And so my gifting isn't just so that I can care for you. It isn't just so that I can lead you. It isn't just so that I can teach you. See, my gifting is best used in the way that Paul is talking about here when I care for you in such a way that it empowers you to go care for others that way. That when I lead you, it equips you to be able to lead others. And, and, and that when I teach you, it enables you to be able to teach others. Right? For, for example, that's one of the reasons I work really hard to try and make 
parts of my message memorable. Now, sometimes they're memorable for the wrong reasons, but I try and make them memorable for the right reasons. And that's why I tested you, right? Because if I were to say, quote Genesis 12 for me, how many of you would have raised your hand and been able to do that? I wouldn't have. But if I say we are blessed to be a blessing, you get it. That's what Abraham, that's what God told Abraham. That's what he told the nation of Israel. That's what he told the disciples. And if I can do that, then it empowers you and enables you to be able to do that with others. Maybe because you heard I'm blessed to be a blessing, it allows you to be able to be generous and apply it. Like you're like, yeah, you know, Fred's right. What God's word said is right. I've been given a lot. I can give, I can give. I can give for the first time. I can give more than I'm giving. I can, I can have a generous life. Or maybe, too, you're with your kids. And you're talking about, you're, you're at the bank and you're making a deposit or whatever, and you can tell the kids, listen, we have been given a lot, and that's why we are able to give to others. Because that's what God says, that we are blessed so that we can be a blessing. And in that, you're teaching your kids how to have a generous life. That's the whole point of my gifting, is not just to teach you, but to teach you in a way that enables you to teach others. Now, that's not just my gifting. God has gifted you in a way that is good for all of us, no matter what that gift is. And so my spiritual gifts are for you to be able to serve those around you. Your gifts are for me. They're for us to be able to serve those around us. See, your gifts serve us so that we can serve others. That's what Paul is saying here. Whether you're an apostle, whether you're a prophet, whether you're an evangelist, whether you're a pastor and teacher, no matter where you fit under those categories, that gift isn't just for you. It is for you to help us and to serve us with. Now, don't you love the way that God's designed this? In a world where self-sufficiency is king, right? And I mean that literally. Like if you are king or queen of your world, the world looks at that and goes, you have arrived. If you don't need anybody, then you have arrived. And God's word is saying, actually, that's just the opposite. We are designed to need each other and to serve each other. In a world of self-satisfaction and self-promotion, and those things are celebrated, the church isn't a place that it's about me serving me or you serving you. It is about us serving each other. And see, look at what happens when this happens, because this is where it's really fun. In verse 13, it says, it says so, so we're to equip each other and, and build up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith. So, so there's unity there in the knowledge of the Son of God. There's knowledge there to mature manhood, to the measure and stature of the fullness of God. There's maturity there. And the reason manhood is there, this isn't just a guy thing. In the next verse, he talks about children, uh, and, and so com- he's doing a little compare and contrast, and so he's just using uh, maturity as a picture of adulthood, that that's what happens. And so, so, so when we're operating this way, when God has, has given you a spiritual gift, and you exercise that spiritual gift for the benefit of all of us so that we can serve each other and serve those around us, what happens is it's not us who get the attention. That's where it gets really good. We get the benefit of it because here's what we get. We get unity from this, right? Even though we're diverse, 
we get unified as we do this. We get knowledge, right? We get to know God's word better. We get to know him better. We get to know each other better. We get to understand and we get to become mature, which means we just get to become better people, right? When, the, when, when life throws all these twists and turns with us at us, maturity keeps us on a straight path and, and we live life in a better way. Now, those are all the benefits that we get, but y'all, look at who gets the attention. He gets all the attention, all the focus, all the glory because of our, our knowledge is about the Son of God. Our maturity is about the fullness of Christ. You see, church, when it's not about me and it's not about you and, and it's not even about us, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And that makes sense, doesn't it? Because Jesus is the reason we have spiritual gifts. I'm going to talk about spiritual gifts for a minute because some of you may be like, what? What's, what's, is he talking about like my Enneagram? Like what's he talking about? Is he talking about my, my Myers-Briggs? Like what's going on? Yes and no. All right, because, because what you have to understand is that before you said yes to Jesus, you, your, your personality, you had talents, you had abilities, you, you had the way God had made you, and, and those talents and abilities, I guarantee you, you could, you could lead people, you could, you could help people have better lives, and, and all of that stuff is good. But before Jesus came into your life, something was missing. There's something that wasn't there that is there now for those of you who have said yes to Jesus. And Paul addresses what that is a little bit earlier in the same letter of Ephesians. Back up to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. I'm going to throw you a curveball. This is why uh, last week I asked you to bring your Bible with you. See if you're using the Bible app, unless Carol was smart enough to put that verse in there. Well, smart's not the right word, because now if she didn't, you're going to think I'm being mean. I'm not. I'm just saying... If you have your Bible, you just turn the page, and there it is. If you have the Bible app, you're like, oh, gosh, what do I do now, right? So, so Ephesians, bring your Bible. It's fun. All right, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. This is what Paul, Paul wrote at the very beginning. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. Let's stop right there. So Paul's saying there was a point in your life where you said yes to Jesus, Right? Where, where, where you heard the gospel, you received it, you believed that Jesus was your Savior, you believed that he was the Messiah, you said yes to Jesus. This is what happened when you said yes to Jesus. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So what Paul is saying is that when you say yes to Jesus, you get something that you didn't have before. You get sealed with the Holy Spirit. And this word sealed means closed. It means it, it, it has like a few different meanings. It means that like you are secure because of the Holy Spirit. It also means this, this image of a seal like on, a, on an ancient letter. Or for those of you who are fancy letter writers and you've got the wax and the seal that you use with the initial of your last name. That's it. Like there's this image. Uh, there's this, this relationship with God that seals you. You see... This is what's different between just talents and abilities and personality and, and what's different with the body of Christ is that, is that you have the Holy Spirit that you didn't have before. And, and the Holy Spirit is the basis of your personal relationship with God. I talk about it all the time, this personal relationship, and here's why it's personal. 
Because God's Holy Spirit, when you say yes to Jesus, is personally connected to you. He's in you and he's with you. Now you might be asking, Fred, what in the world do you mean by Holy Spirit? People talk about God. I've got that. People talk about Jesus. I think I'm cool with that. What do you mean when you say the Holy Spirit? Here's what I mean by the Holy Spirit. I mean, when you say yes to Jesus, the very presence of God is in you in such a way that he knows your thoughts. He knows your motives. He's there cheering you on, encouraging you on. A lot like like Cam saying up here, he is not ashamed of you in any area of your life, in any thought in your head. He is never disappointed. He is with you in mercy and in love and in grace because of what Jesus did. That's the Holy Spirit. God isn't watching you from a distance. Because of Jesus, he is in you. And when you say yes to Jesus, God's presence lives in you. When I said I felt the voice of God speak to me, it is the Holy Spirit of God in me speaking to the soul of me. How does that work? I have not a clue, but I know it's true. That's what I mean by the Holy Spirit, that he is with you in such a way that, well, let's listen to Jesus's words about him, because Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit. So So in John 14, 16, I'll have it up here. In John chapter 14, verse 16 and 17, Jesus is with some people and he's teaching them about the Holy Spirit. And this is what he says. He says, I will ask the Father and he will will give you another counselor to be with you when? Forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him. In other words, those who haven't said yes to Jesus... They don't have this relationship with the Holy Spirit. But you know him for he lives with you. And he, now this is where it gets fun, and he will be in you. Now here's what you have to understand where we are in the story of Jesus. That, that, that Jesus is with his disciples and he hasn't been crucified yet. He hasn't been resurrected yet. And so he's telling them, hey, this Holy Spirit, he's coming. He will be in you. Fast forward the timeline, Jesus is crucified, he's resurrected, he spends time with his disciples, and before he raises into heaven, he tells them, y'all go pray because the Holy Spirit's coming, and so they do, they gather together in this room, and they pray, and they pray, and they pray, and they wait until Jesus, until whatever Jesus said was going to happen is going to happen, and they had no idea what was going to happen, but they just know Jesus told them to gather to pray, and so they gathered to pray, and they were praying, and all of a sudden the room filled with this wind. And they looked at each other, and there were what says there were like flaming tongues of fire over each person. Not over the whole room. Like it wasn't one big tongue of fire, it was little ones. And that, in the book of Acts, is when the Holy Spirit comes and lives in each person. And then the rest of the book of Acts is what happens because of that. That's why the book of Acts is sometimes called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because it is Luke writing, this is what happens when the Holy Spirit dwells in you. The gospel goes out. And so Jesus said, this was going to happen, and it did. And now this is key, because remember, in our book of Ephesians, Paul is writing to the Ephesians about how to be the church in Ephesus, how to be the church where they lived. 
And to be the church where you live is to be the spirit-gifted people equipping each other to serve those around them. In other words, to be the church in Ephesus, you have to be the church where you are. That is why this church exists, to be the church where we are. Now, when we are in this process of discerning, did I really hear God right saying you need to plant a church in Asheville? Because I did. I still had those two questions that I thought God and I were pretty clear on five years before that. And two, here's what also, what also played in my head. I'm like, of course God's calling me to plant a church in Asheville. It's Asheville. It's like what you think when somebody says, yeah, I feel like the Lord's asking me to be a missionary in Hawaii. You're like, I bet he is. Right? I bet he is. Right? That's what was kind of going on in my soul. And, and, and as I looked around Asheville when we visited, I did see lots of churches here. It's not like this is some foreign country where the gospel hasn't gone to. The gospel has been here for a long time. Billy Graham is right up the street, or was at that point. Like, his training center is there. This is a hub for Christianity. And I looked around, I was like, man, do we need another church here? And I, I, I sent an email, I sent emails to a bunch of pastors um, and had one respond because I wanted to get together with pastors and just kind of uh, get the lay of the land, me and Jonathan did. He's the other guy that planted the church here. And we had one pastor respond to us, a uh, pastor at Grace Mills River, uh, down in Mills River. And um, uh, we, we sat down with him and we asked him this question. We said, listen, does Asheville need another church? Right? We look around and there's plenty. Does Asheville need another one? And what he said confirmed and I think gave us the green light to keep moving forward. Because what he said was this. He said, listen, guys, there are plenty of people in Asheville who need Jesus. And no one church is going to reach them all. So yes, we need another church here in Asheville because there are plenty of people here who need the church. And so we said, okay. You see, Fellowship Asheville exists because Jesus is still at work in this city. He is at work here in Oakley. He is at work here in Asheville. And we exist because Jesus exists. We work and we serve because Jesus is at work. And he's at work right here. Now, I want to share with you something that I believe captures this church that Jesus is asking us to become, this, this church that the Holy Spirit has, has moved in us uh, to be. And, and here's what I want you to do. Um, uh, if you haven't said yes to Jesus yet, uh, would you do that today? I want to be very clear with you. This relationship that I'm talking about with the Holy Spirit, like, like I get it that you don't understand it, uh, but I'm telling you as a person who's on the other side who has said yes to Jesus, I can't imagine living my life without that presence, right? Six months after I said yes to Jesus, my dad died. And I can't imagine going through that without the very presence of God in me, not just around me. I had great godly people around me, but I needed the presence of God in me to be able to live through that. And if you want that today, then say yes to Jesus. He is your Savior, and he will remove the, the penalty of sin that you can't pray, that you can't pay, and the power of sin in your life that you can't quit. Let God deal with that in the way that God has. 
And for those of us who have said yes to Jesus, here's what I need you to do. I need you to understand that you have been empowered with a spiritual gift that, that, that is, is beyond your personality, it's beyond your natural talents and abilities, that the Spirit of God has gifted you in a way uh, that this church needs. Some of you have big gifts that, that will put you in front of people, and some of you have gifts that will have huge impact that very few people will see. All of them are given by the Spirit of God. All of them we need to become the church that I believe Jesus is asking us to become. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read this statement uh, that we have in our membership books, our DNA books. Uh, there's actually copies of it so you can get them on the way out. But what I want you to do is I just want you to listen. If you have said yes to Jesus, here's what I believe. I believe the Spirit of God is in you, and He wants to use you to help us become this church, because we certainly can't do it on our own. Actually, when I wrote this, uh, I looked at this, and I thought, God, we, I, my lifetime, I, we won't be this church in my lifetime. There's no way that, that we can move people to become this church. I don't have to move people. Right? It is the Spirit of God. Jesus is the head of this church. And so as I read this, I just want you to close your eyes and listen to the Spirit of God as I read these words. Hebrews 3, 7 says this. It says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And so as I read these vision statements, I want you to pay attention to what's going on in your heart. And when I read something about the church that Jesus is asking us to become, if your spirit says yes to that, that's your area. That's your place. So let's just take a minute. You can close your eyes if you want. You can look at the ceiling, whatever. But I'm going to read this, and you listen to where the Spirit of God, where you feel the Spirit of God whisper to your spirit, yes. So our dream for fellowship is to be a place of ongoing hope, healing, and inspiration for all of Western North Carolina. Our mission is that we are disciple-making disciples, and our vision statement is we are a gospel-centered community creating environments where change is possible. Those are the big general stuff. This is what we think it looks like for those to happen. This is where I want you to pay attention. Where is the Spirit of God saying yes? The gospel is the filter we, want, we run every decision through. Our belief in and the proclamation of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection define how we see ourselves and how we see the world around us. Our people talk about Jesus because he is real to them. Our growth rate compi comprises 25% new believers, and we teach them how to live out their new faith by embracing their spiritual giftedness in service to others, understanding and applying biblical truth, and living a generous life. People attending fellowship actively engage in their own spiritual life and the spiritual life of others around them. They care for the well-being of others, and they can tell stories of walking in greater faith and trust in Jesus year after year. Our people are actively engaged in the Word more today than they were a year ago. Our people have a growing understanding of God's Word. They pursue holiness in every area of their life. Secrets are disclosed in safe circles of care and accountability. Our men are humble, wise, courageous, and compassionate leaders. 
Our women have a deep sense of acceptance in who God has made them to be. They understand their radiant beauty, gifting, worth, and calling. They walk with their head held high because of their secure identity in Jesus. Singles in our community find a home with us where they are not labeled as second-class citizens of God's house, but they are welcome to lead with all their giftedness. Our fathers embrace their role with responsibility and enthusiasm. They love their wives and children sacrificially because an older godly man knows them personally and has modeled it to them. Our mothers nurture and train their children because we support and disciple them. Every new mother has an older and experienced woman who prays for, cares for, and supports her. Our husbands and wives see themselves as one spiritual team. They pray together daily. They engage in their spiritual life together. They understand their roles and callings, and they intentionally pursue a passionate relationship with each other. And they support each other through the trials of life. Our kids at Fellowship love Jesus. They are learning what a vibrant, life-giving relationship with God looks like. They love coming to and being the church. Our middle school and high school students know many adults by name. They know these adults love them because they serve with them, pray with them, and are mentored by them. Our people in the workforce see no difference between the sacred and the secular. They see their work as their ministry. Our cities are safer and more beautiful cities because of fellowship's influence and work. Our people make a difference in the neighborhoods where they live. Our facilities are used by like-minded organizations who serve the city uh, more than they are used by our members. Our buildings have a constant buzz of people coming and going through its doors. Our church gives away more money than we keep. Our people are good stewards with their money. They do not have irresponsible debt. We assist those experiencing homelessness to live with dignity by being fed finding jobs, and creating a sustainable life through our partnership with them. Children who have been abused and neglected will experience love and justice in their lives. Fewer children are going hungry. More children in the foster care system find safe homes, and more teenagers graduate high school because of our presence in the local schools and organizations. We work shoulder to shoulder with other churches in our cities to represent the kingdom of God well. And all of this is to the glory of God. That's the church that we believe Jesus is asking us to become. Y'all, it's big. And we need the way God has gifted you to do this. And so my question for you is, where do you see yourself equipping us to become this church? Where does the way God has gifted you line up with what Jesus is asking us to become? Because I want to leave you with this. We need you to be who God gifted you to be so that we can become the church God is asking us to become. That's why this church exists. So what I want you to do, like I said, there's copies of this on the way out. Take it home with you. Pray over this. Get back with me or your growth group leader and and let us know what, what, what you want to do to help us to become this church because we need you. Let's pray. Jesus, um, you are a good God and this is a big vision huge. Um, Only you can do this. Only you can can fulfill these things through this church here in, in in the mountains of Asheville. But God, we also know because of it, you're the only one who's going to get the glory. It's not going to be me. It's not going to be us. It's going to be you. And I thank you for that. So Father, move us, compel us, lead us, 
in the areas where our giftedness is needed. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.